0: Hello and welcome to the Artificial Intelligence in Drug Discovery podcast. My name is Simon Smith, and I'm your host. On this episode, I speak with Dekel Geldman, CEO of FDNA. FDNA uses facial analysis and artificial intelligence to help doctors diagnose rare diseases. Their technology can also enable personalized medicine at scale through the application of what they call next-generation phenotyping. To me, FDNA is a great example of applied artificial intelligence. Their technology has significant real-world impact and wouldn't be possible without recent advancements in machine learning. I spoke with Dekel about the inspiration for FDNA, how their technology works, applications for drug discovery, and more. This episode is brought to you by BenchSci. BenchSci uses artificial intelligence to reduce the cost of scientific experiments. Use it to find research antibodies up to 24 times faster than using PubMed or Google Scholar. Just enter a protein of interest and filter by technique, organism, tissue, or 12 other options. BenchSci returns only relevant published figures and products. It's free for researchers in academic and nonprofit institutions. You can sign up at BenchSci.com. If you work in industry, just use the contact form on benchside.com to reach out for a demo. And now, on to the interview. Okay, hi, Dekel. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Simon.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, Great. So listen, I want to start just off uh, the top here. By having you describe in your own words what FDNA is for people that might not Understand the technology. Have any idea about what phenotyping even is? I often think about. It. Let's say you're at a party and somebody said, "Hey, what do you do?" That inevitable question. How do you respond to that? How do you describe what you do in a way that's accessible for people?
1: That, that's a great way way to to put things. So, Fdna is uh, first and foremost a technology company. Uh, it uses artificial intelligence, and we'll break that term down uh, uh, very soon to uh, look at signals, external signals, about the human physiology, like how the face looks, how the sound, how how the voice sounds, uh, how does a patient move, uh, and tries to detect certain patterns, uh, very similarly to how a physician would go about looking at a patient and evaluating a patient when that patient comes into the clinic. And what we do with that information, with those patterns that we find, is that we correlate them to very specific and subtle differences and changes in a person's genome that could cause a medical condition.
0: Yeah, so I, I think the way I've described it to people, and this is the layperson way, of course, I try to describe it to my wife and I'll say, you know, imagine if you had a lot of genetic data and you had a lot of pictures of faces and then you taught a machine how to make correlations between those faces and the genetic uh, traits. Um, is that too much of an oversimplification or is, is that roughly accurate?
1: I think it, it, it's a good way to think about this. And what I would uh, add to that is that, you know, as human beings, it's hard for us to grasp the volumes of data that are out there and look at all that data as kind of a whole and try to find very distinct patterns in those data sets. Uh, What the machine does, and today with a technique called deep learning, we, we don't even teach the machine how to do it. We just compile data and ask the machine to, or the computer, to look at all that data and say, what's common to all these data points? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we we're talking about facial photos, right, what's common about all these faces that can be a common thread uh, and, and eventually a,
0: uh, a, a sign
1: for you to see? Hmm.
0: So I have a question about that because I think many people listening to this would assume that if uh, a patient walks into a physician's office, into a pediatrician's office, and that pediatrician might already have a sense that something might be off, so why wouldn't they just order a, a genetic analysis or get, a, get the, the patient's genome sequenced almost proactively, given that the cost has come down so much at this point? Well, why think, would the first thing be to use your product?
1: Well, I think, I think they, they should, but uh, the cost has not uh, come down that significantly yet. It is it, when, you, when you look at the starting point of millions of dollars to sequence a genome, yes, we've done amazing work. <laughs> We've reached almost a $1,000. It's still fairly expensive to uh, try and say, okay, you know what? Something's off. Let's just do a sequence of, of that patient and see if we can find anything wrong. Hmm. Um, so the price is still an inhibitor. Beyond that, there's awareness. Um, not all physicians uh, consider certain signs or clinical symptoms as cause uh, of an underlying uh, genetic problem. And the third thing, and we can get into more detail here, is that this is not a first phenotype, then sequence. And it's not the other way around, either. It's not first sequence and then phenotype. These two approaches need to go hand in hand. So phenotyping and genotyping, uh, and to simplify that, the Uh, uh, the the art or the practice of looking at the clinical signs together with looking at the underlying genetic differences should go hand in hand. And that is pretty much the only approach that makes sense in order to uh, test for genetic
2: disorders.
0: Hmm. I, I, I'm just wondering if you could help me unpack that a little bit. I, I'm still trying to understand and, or clarify. So, you know, uh, as I understand it, a lot of these are rare diseases in children. So a, a child walks into a pediatrician's office and can you maybe walk me through the steps from there about how they might use uh, an FDNA solution to help with their a, a diagnosis or, or even a, a treatment approach or whatever the, the process might be?
1: So I'll, I'll walk you through the process uh, of what we call the diagnostic journey or the diagnostic odyssey, uh, unfortunately, with, with uh, rare disease patients. And most of them, as you said, are kids. Uh, it's, uh, uh, most of them affect pediatrics. What is probably the uh, most unknown thing about this uh, field of, of rare diseases is that they're not rare at all. Mm. Uh, rare diseases as a group, in aggregate, affect almost one in 10 people on the planet. Um, and because so many diseases that individually are rare are grouped into that uh, um, um, bucket of rare diseases, um, we, we, we don't really uh, consider them to be rare. And in fact, there's very little awareness of this. The journey, uh, the average journey for a rare disease patient uh, lasts about seven years. Well, these patients go into doctor's offices with multiple clinical signs. They can come in for recurring infections or learning disabilities or even physical disabilities, uh, uh, speech problems, hearing problems, general development delay. And the first thing that comes to the physician's mind is not necessarily, oh, this is a rare disease and we have to refer this patient to a geneticist. Physicians are trained to hear hoof prints and think about horses, not zebras. And so they send those patients to, uh, to treat the clinical signs and not the underlying problem. But it's not their fault.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I guess I do want to come back to then how do you sorry I thought I lost you there for a second I do want to come back to how you manage to reach out to them and even get them to adopt a solution but maybe we can come back to that in a second Uh, I did want to pick up on one thing you said that it's one in ten people or, or, or can suffer from one of many rare diseases but I also imagine that that problem is bigger in countries that don't have as sophisticated or comprehensive of a healthcare system so I'm actually curious to know how what the usages of your products both within let's say the, the um, I'll use the term developed versus developing countries
2: Yeah. so
1: yeah I, I think you're on to something the the figure that I give you of seven years is actually for developed countries uh, and in developing countries, uh, this data doesn't even exist. So we don't even know how long it takes to diagnose patients in, in developing countries. Now our products and services are uh, designed very specifically for geneticists. And because there are definitely more geneticists in uh, North America and in Western Europe, predominantly most of our users, the clinical geneticists are in those territories. But Um, we have a pretty global presence and we've uh, we have users physicians from uh, more than 130 countries around the world and we're seeing more and more physicians from Asia Pacific from Latin America from Eastern Europe from the Middle East um, starting to use this more frequently but as you said predominantly North America and Western
2: Europe Hmm.
0: so I want to uh jump in a little bit here to your background and how you got involved and specifically I know you have uh, some co-founders as well but what was the inspiration to tackle this problem and we'll take this maybe in two parts what was the inspiration and then how you got involved
1: well it's it's it, I think it's basically the same story as a group we got involved uh, based on personal uh, acquaintance we just I just knew the, the co-founders and one of the co-founders has uh, had a previous company that uh, was uh, uh, developing facial recognition technology. In that time, uh, the best facial recognition technology in the world, it was called face.com. And um, the idea was, how can we bring this special sauce, this knowledge about facial recognition into healthcare? And uh, what we, we really went after a, um, a, a uh, uh, task of, trying to find a noble cause, something that we find that we can relate to. And we went and interviewed a number of uh, specialists in healthcare. It it was when we went into the geneticist's office, the first time we we talked to a geneticist, and and that geneticist said, that's exactly what we do in practice. We look at faces, and we try to um, um, remember or come up with a pattern that uh, reminds us of how this patient looks like and a classical manifestation of disease. Then we knew we had something that can solve a problem, but we didn't know how big that problem was. And when we tried to dive in and we we understood, we're talking about 7,000 diseases uh, and it affects mostly kids and the diagnostic journey for these kids is an, on average seven years. Then we knew that we were onto something and it, it became our mission. Now, ever since then, it grew and it expanded because we're, we're uh, in this industry, in this space, uh, we're witnessing a lot of uh, shortage in technology that we can help with. But that was the initial uh, trigger for us to get involved.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things I love about that story too is I see a lot of companies that spin up in the healthcare space saying that they're going to apply machine learning to healthcare that don't really have a strong foundation for what the business need is or what the patient need is even or what the product market fit might be. So I think the approach that you took of going out and talking to people and trying to determine where there might be a need and then being able to fill that need with a technology that just seems so well suited to it is a great case study in like applied AI. But I do have a follow up question there, which is, you mentioned earlier about deep learning. And one of the things about deep learning is you need a lot of data. And I can imagine that in this case, almost by definition, because you're dealing with rare diseases, number one, and because you're dealing with healthcare, number two, that it couldn't have been easy to build that initial data set to create something that had any value. So how did you overcome that problem out of the gate?
1: Well, it it was a challenge, and it still is a challenge. We started, uh, and it took us a lot of time to go uh, through individual collaboration with research groups around the world that had interests in very specific uh, medical conditions to start uh, training a system and teaching it how to uh, uh, look at patterns or feeding or collecting and curating the data for the system to learn. At, at a certain point of time, we realized that the data itself um, is stored in uh, thousands of different silos around the world. So the only way to connect is to connect individually with every clinical geneticist around the world and ask them to share the data with us. Obviously, that's not a, a reasonable plan. Uh, so we came up with a plan with a different plan. We said, you know, what if we build a platform? that can provide value from day one to the clinical geneticist and they would use it. And while using this, they will help us train the system. Mm. And that was really the birth of face to gene. Hmm. Um, And today face to gene is being used by more than 70% of clinical geneticists around the world. And that is a source of data that is training our technology and making it better on a daily basis.
0: That's great. And I think that's another th- key takeaway for anybody working in this field is how you can create some kind of data flywheel or feedback loop to be able to continually improve your product. But 70% penetration in that amount of time is, is significant. I mean, that's quite a success. Did you, what was the approach that you took to be able to get that amount uh, of use in such a short period of time? Or was it simply that the product spoke for itself?
1: Uh, I think it's uh, a number of components. Uh, the the platform is provided free of charge. Uh, the product uh, speaks for itself. The community is just an unbelievable community of physicians. I've never encountered uh, physicians that care so much for their patient, involved so much in research. It's a very small and tight community and uh, and they just care. And they're thirsty for these kind of solutions. So from the very beginning, we decided we're not going to try and sell a solution. We're going to try and work in collaboration with the community to develop a solution. Um, And uh, from, from day one, I stood up in front of the audience of clinical geneticists at the American College of Medical Genetics, and I said, we are here to develop this together with you. We will never charge you, and we will always make our technology available free of charge for you, and all we need from you is your help in developing this technology. That was really what what uh,
2: promoted this.
0: Mm. That's a compelling story. I do want to come back and touch upon what the business model might be in future uh, or what it might be now. Uh, but before I go there, you we've talked a little bit about clinicians, but I know that cl- clinicians aren't the only ones who can use the platform. What's the value proposition for researchers? And because this podcast is going to be about AI and drug discovery, uh, potentially specific opportunities related to drug discovery?
1: I think that when you speak about the human genome, there's uh, much more that's unknown than what's known. And uh, we're still in the midst of trying to understand what is causing specific diseases, what kind of mutations, what's the genomic pathway of disease, what are the biological mechanisms that operate for specific diseases. There is a group of diseases that are called monogenic disorders. These are diseases that are caused by a single mutation. It's fairly straightforward to try and identify uh, which of the uh, uh, genetic variants are causing these diseases. Even uh, if it, with this straightforward uh, um, approach, there is still a lot of unknown, a lot of diseases that we don't know what their origins uh, are. Um, and this becomes even more complex with the polygenic disorders. So an interaction between various uh, uh, genetic mutations causing a condition. And we go into the world of, of autistic spectrum disorders, cardiovascular diseases, neurological diseases, et cetera., et cetera. Um, and I think you know, the future is very exciting in the, in the sense that research can use this technolo- researchers can use this technology to um, uh, segment or to cluster patients based on their phenotype and then cross-reference this with uh, genetic information to try and isolate uh, the specific origins and, and basically correlate the phenotype to the genotype.
0: Right. And then I assume then that would also help to hone in on potential targets for therapies.
1: Absolutely. Once you understand the biological mechanisms, once you understand what is causing a specific phenotype, um, then um, we're in a much better position to try and, and match those uh, diseases with uh, a specific biological uh, uh, approaches. Uh, you know, gene editing has a lot of promise, so we'll see how that technology uh, uh, evolves. But yes, once you need to first understand, and once you understand the biology, then it's easier, relatively easier, to come up with uh, treatments.
0: So I want to switch gears a little bit here, and I know you're not the technologist or the guy who's doing the engineering, but for people who might be interested, can you talk a little bit about the types of machine learning technologies that you're using? And of course, don't give away anything proprietary where I don't want to have to sign an NDA to have this conversation, but just at a high level, the kinds of technologies uh, that you've been utilizing and developing would help many, many listeners who might be interested in the technical side. Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, as you said, I'm I'm definitely not the tech person, but I can tell you that uh, there were two phases for FDNA for the company. When we started, deep learning was still something that, uh, you know, w- was not uh, practiced. It was uh, in research uh, phases. Um, and we utilized more traditional machine learning uh, techniques where we actually had supervised learning, and uh, we tried to uh, have the computer think like a geneticist. And it was successful, um, but uh, once we introduced deep learning and really uh, allowed the computer to go about finding patterns uh, for itself, the performance just increased uh, uh, very significantly. The challenge for us had become uh, a twofold challenge. One is, how do you keep uh, uh, your system on the cutting edge of, of, of deep learning and uh, utilize computing power on the cloud? On one side, on the other side, as you said, we need a lot of data. Now it's more of, how do we focus on the purity of the data? How do we collect data that is, uh, um, that w- will not need human intervention in, in QA? Um, so all the QA is done up front before we, we, we train the system. Uh,
0: yeah, I can, I can absolutely relate to that. I think that people who don't work with machine learning probably assume that the primary challenges are all about writing code, lines of code. But so much of the challenge is about figuring out your data pipeline, figuring out how you're going to scale once you start to collect Terabytes or petabytes of data, and picking out the right features. I mean, a lot of it is is not necessarily. It's just a lot of grunt work there, and trying to figure that part out, as opposed to it just being about writing better algorithms all the time. Uh, so the, the pipeline is important. So where do you want to see the the product go, or where do you foresee the product going over the next one to two years, given that technology is, is progressing so rapidly.
2: So you were asking, uh, how do I see the, uh, the products and the technology evolving from this point? And um, if, if to date we were focused with our AI mainly on the facial recognition, we have a full roadmap of where we're going with this next. We're actually calling this next generation phenotyping technologies on the basis of next generation sequencing because it's so complementary. What we've realized is that a physician or a geneticist, when they look at patients, they evaluate faces. Yes, that's a very strong indication, but they do so much more. And we're already in the process of starting to analyze video footage so that we can evaluate uh, the movement patterns of patients, Uh, voice recording so that we can uh, evaluate the patterns in the voice that can be indications of specific diseases. We're looking at natural language processing so that we can analyze clinical notes of physicians and correlate that with uh, 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 the genetics of of a patient. So basically what we wanna do is we want to expand our reach with AI on everything that uh, is capturing, structuring, and analyzing the human physiology so we can integrate that to the genetic testing.
0: Yeah, I could see the opportunities there expanding exponentially as well as the amount of data that you would need to capture that would suggest to me as well that and you can answer if you're comfortable doing so that you're probably thinking beyond rare diseases that there's an opportunity here to to especially given the the growth in consumer genetic testing uh, to expand the, the footprint of what the product is able to do but maybe I'm reading too much into what you said
2: no I think I think you're absolutely right I think that rare diseases is where we started uh, what we've witnessed through our activities in the rare disease space, in the clinical genomics space, is that genetics really needs this type of technology as a complementary technology uh, for genome analysis or or variant analysis. And we strongly believe that genetics is going to play a key role in uh, in the future of precision medicine. And this goes well beyond rare diseases. But if you really think about the term precision medicine, uh, by definition, a rare disease is, is falls into that category right because precision medicine is about providing treatment that's tailored to individuals or or very small groups of patients that have something in common. Um, a rare disease is, is exactly that, and when we think about uh, um, more common diseases, the future is going to segment uh, each of those uh, uh, or or split those diseases into very small cohorts of patients that are uh, uh, taken into account or factor in the genetic contribution to those diseases.
0: Yeah, that's that's very interesting, thought-provoking. Leads me to think that really when you talk about precision medicine, every disease can become somewhat of a rare disease because you're going to increasingly segment down the different subtypes of that disease. And that also allows you to develop treatments for very specific subtypes of disease. So that is, I can certainly see how that path takes you from rare diseases to effectively treating every disease like a rare disease.
2: Well, no, think about cancer. I mean, cancer has traditionally been lumped some into one big giant scary word, but there's so many uh, different types of cancer. And many of those are actually, uh, uh, their legal definition is uh, a rare disease because their uh, the treatments receive orphan designations. So this process has already been uh, b- being done as we speak, and we're we're going to see more and more of this um, as we learn more about the genetic components and the genetic uh, uh, causes of diseases.
0: Thank you. That's that was all very interesting. I know we're we're bumping up against our time here. I did want to close with a couple of questions Uh, before I get there though I I had mentioned that I I was curious about the business model to the extent that you're comfortable sharing what the the business model might be for that given that you give the product away for free currently
2: sure Um, we we give the product away free currently and we will continue to give the product away for free because this product is designed for a very very small community of uh, practitioners clinical geneticists Uh, that is um, I always tell my employees this is the source of our power so we can't cut the cord Um, this is how we develop our technology but as you said genomics is going to expand exponentially it's going into consumer genomics it is going to be uh, a cornerstone in uh, drug discovery and clinical development of of, uh, therapies well beyond rare diseases We're a small company. We want to continue to be a small company that specializes in developing technology, and we want to work with partners around the world to license this technology. And we're already working with um, uh, genetic testing laboratories, with uh, research organizations, with pharma companies uh, in order to um, integrate this technology into their computerized systems. The future of genomics is going to depend highly on um, on omics technologies, or the future of precision medicine to be exact. And we are a, a very uh, strong and notable technology, omics technology, uh, if you will, in the field of phenomics.
0: Mm, I think that might be the first time, and maybe it's my ignorance that I've heard the term, but I did really like next generation phenotyping, so it's one that'll that'll stick. <laughs> This is a good point to maybe ask how people can get in touch with you, anybody who might be interested in uh, understanding how they might be able to work with you or use the product. What's the best way to learn more about FDNA or to reach you or any of your colleagues?
2: The best way would be to visit our website at www.fdna.com and we have, uh, uh, depending on the purpose of uh, of uh, the connection we have multiple teams whether it's marketing customer success business development product uh to speak to and all the details are on the website and we Great. invite everyone to to come in and talk to us
0: thank you so much for your time i genuinely learned a lot i think there's a lot of I mean, it, it, as I said, when I reached out to you originally, this is just one of the most fascinating examples and uh, and good examples of a, a strong application of AI where it's clear that you wouldn't have been able to solve this problem without it. So I really appreciate you taking the time and being able to provide some of those insights to our listeners. Is there any question that I didn't ask you that you think maybe I should have asked you or that people might be interested in in hearing the answer to?
2: No, I, and it was uh, a lot of fun talking to you. and a pleasure to meeting you, and, and I hope that uh, your listeners are going to enjoy this uh, conversation.
0: You just listened to my conversation with Dekel Gelbman of FDNA. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to catch future interviews, be sure to subscribe. Just look for Artificial Intelligence and Drug Discovery in your favorite podcast player. Then hit the subscribe button. Until our next episode, be well and work smart.